Happy New Year, everyone. A big thanks to Brian Ensminger, who interviewed me on his podcast. If you'd like to hear that interview, it was released today at engagingmissions.com slash Jim Baker. Welcome to any new listeners if you're checking out Doing Ministry Well because of that show. And we're back after our winter break with a podcast interview with Emery Gaskin, who is the pastor of University Baptist in Honolulu. Enjoy. Inspiring stories, practical applications. Doing Ministry Well. Today's podcast is brought to you by Audible.com. Get a free audiobook download and 30-day free trial at audibletrial.com slash doingministrywell. All right. Hello, everyone, and thank you for checking into another episode of Doing Ministry Well. We are here at University Baptist in uh, Oahu, and we are joined by Emery Gaskins. Emery, thanks so much for being on the show. Good to be here. Um, Emery, I really appreciate you doing this for the second time. The first one uh, got deleted, and you were very gracious to uh, do this again. So I really no appreciate problem. It. Glad to do it. Um, yeah, Emery, we met at uh, the interfaith meeting right. of um, Manoa Disaster Preparedness Group. They have a new name now. They keep changing their name, but uh, that's. I can't remember what it is, too, but that's where we're yeah, at. The Disaster Preparedness yeah. Interfaith uh, meeting, and I was just like, I gotta meet this guy. So um, we grabbed coffee, and you told uh, the barista that your name was Ed. <laughs> I remember that. That was pretty funny. I was a little confused because I was like, he told me his name was Emery. Yeah, it was. But if I told the barista Emery, they would have looked at me and written out something that I would have no idea what they wrote. and. So Ed is just easier to remember. There you go. There you go. Yeah, I really enjoyed that coffee meeting. And at that coffee meeting, I found out that you have some uh, connections with the Evangelical Covenant Church, which is a tiny denomination, a smaller denomination. Right. Um, but I've got some friends in there as well. My wife was raised in that denomination. And uh, you have two daughters that went to North Park. Is that correct? Two kids. Two one kids. son, one daughter. Okay. Okay. So Both, both graduated Park. now, but both went there and... Um, Love North Park. It was a good place. Caleb is still in Chicago after he just graduated in May. So, um, and getting ready now to go work for the what's it called, the Joshua Wilderness. Okay. Oh well, yeah, I'm not familiar with that. Some group out of Hume Lake in California. Okay. Okay. So um, anyway. Great. And yeah, you just hung out with another. Covenanter uh, Scott McKnight. You just went to his conference here. In Loved it, man. That was a great two weeks. Um, got his books, and so I'm reading through those. But thoroughly enjoyed that class time. It was fun. He's at first time I'd ever heard him speak. Okay. Had read his books, Blue Parakeet, uh-huh. which he had written, and then I've used some commentaries. But fun in the classroom, and it was um, it was great. Good. What was your big takeaway? You feel like from that conference? Um, the conference was on. It really wasn't a conference. It was part of PACRIM University's um, classes. Okay. So there were a lot of people taking it for credit. Okay. I was there just for the fun of it. Yeah, yeah. Um, and it was on the future of the church. And his um, big thing is the church, you, you can't work in the kingdom of God outside the church. Hmm. And so he went through the New Testament and talking about the church. Uh, he's written a new book called A Fellowship of Difference, how we all are different. Um, so he did a lot of comparisons with the old view of Paul and the new view and where that fits into things. Um, so it was just a, it was 
it was a fun discussion and a fun class. Give me a lot to think about. Awesome, awesome. Emery, tell me how long you've been in ministry. I've been in ministry almost 40 years. Okay, wow. Be 40 years next year. All right, excellent. So 39 years. Awesome. And uh, what are you currently doing in ministry? I am the pastor at University Avenue Baptist Church. Um, Been here for seven years. This is my third pastorate in that time. So love what I'm doing here. Excellent, excellent. What were you doing uh, before this? Uh, I started out in youth ministry at First Baptist Church Pasadena in the mid-70s on a summer staff, um, became a full-time intern, then became the middle school minister and the youth minister, and then moved to Fort Worth and became an associate pastor, youth education. And from there, started a church in Fort Worth during the Texas Baptist, trying to start 5,000 new churches in the mid-80s. We were one of them. So a church planter there, stayed there for 12 years, then pastored at International Baptist Church in Hong Kong, and now here. Wow. That is uh, quite the different areas of ministry. Three very, you know, it was very different not being, it was interesting, when I was not the senior pastor, I took a day off every week. (laughs) (laughs) Since um, becoming a pastor, that's been always a little harder to do. I still do it, but it's not quite the, and so we started the church, Cindy and I did, um, when I turned 30. Mm -hmm. So that was kind of my, my goal, so have been pastoring then for the last almost 30 years mm. with that. But three very different churches. Mm. Summerfields was a new church, baby boomers. I was 30 and I was old. Mm. So a very young congregation. We had one senior adult and most of our folks, this was the first church they'd been involved with. Oh, so wow. um, some came from neighboring churches, but a lot of them accepted Christ, new Christians, or had been out of church for years and came back. So it was just a whole different mindset. There, mm-hmm. there wasn't. And then I left there after feeling God calling us to Hong Kong, which mm-hmm. is another story, to an international setting, always been involved with missions. Um, very different place than Summerfields. Great place, but a great learning experience. Um, loved it for the seven years we were there, and now here and plan to stay here for the next 10 years, as long as I've got good health to do it, and this is as different as a place <laughs> as I've ever been. So we Excellent. have as many 90-year-olds as we do nine-year-olds here. Wow. So that multi-generational aspect of church life is um, a challenge but it's been fun yeah um, because i think that's part of what church is it's Mm. not necessarily one type of people it's all kinds of people in hawaii everything's multicultural so that's not we're not very different from everybody else and that we are multicultural but we work at being multi-generational and bringing those generations in together to worship one god and that's a challenge yeah yeah, I really want to hit on this multi-generational topic because I love what you have to say in our couple of conversations about that. I but hope you... I can remember any of it. <laughs> <laughs> but you mentioned um, receiving a call to go to Hong Kong, and uh, you said that that was an interesting story. Yeah. I think that a lot of our listeners are 
wonder what what does that call look like? What is it? What? How do I know that God is calling me to yeah. do something, and how do I step out? To well, do that? With, with me, I had we'd always been involved in missions. My wife grew up on the mission field. She was working with um, Women's Missionary Union in Texas, and so she, we we were involved in missions as a church. And I was one of seven pastors, I think, six or seven pastors from Tarrant Baptist Association which was a huge association, 300 and something churches. Mm. And we were visiting different cities in Asia to see if our association could partner with a city and really you know, send people there and, and really make a difference in one city. So we were visiting different cities. Um, our debriefing city was Hong Kong. This is before the handover to China. Mm-hmm. So there were still a large number of missionaries based there. So our debriefing city was there. And the Sunday, the weekend we happened to be in town, we went to International Baptist Church Hong Kong. And they were without a pastor. And I looked around and really just all the different nationalities mm-hmm. I loved. Mm-hmm. I mean, I just liked that setting. And it, it, I never thought about English speaking churches <laughs> overseas. I'm right. slow, you know, so <laughs> I had never felt a call to, to be a missionary because I don't do languages. I'm Southern through and through, you know, <laughs> Southern everything. So I, you know, languages are not my forte. Um, but an English speaking church in that, in that climate was interesting. So we finished. Asia, and I came back and met the interim pastor, who happened to be from Texas, and we had some connections. Hmm. He encouraged me to send him my resume, and they began to contact and ask questions because they were talking to a lot of different folks. And um, a year later, they asked if we wanted to come. So Cindy and I went out there, and I wouldn't have done anything without her. Approval. She needed to be on board. And for her, it was a Kenyan family in the church hmm. that sealed the deal. Hmm. When she saw their great big African smiles, hmm. she said this could be home. Because hmm. she'd never been to Asia, had never been. So we moved our three little kids there. Um, youngest was about four at the time. Oh, the wow. oldest was nine and had a great time there. It's a hmm. great experience. Did you get some pushback from family members moving young kids overseas? We got some, but I am very fortunate. You know, none from Cindy's family. They were missionaries, mm-hmm. and they had retired since then. Mm-hmm. Where My were they mother, missionaries? Yeah, huh? Where were they missionaries? They were in Malawi and Zimbabwe and Botswana, one of the homelands okay. of South Africa. Okay. And um, Cindy grew up in what is now Zimbabwe, it was Rhodesia when she was there as a little girl. Um, so absolutely no pushback from them. My mom was heartbroken. Texas was a long ways away, but I was very fortunate in that my parents always encouraged me to do what they felt like God calls. So no guilt or anything else like that that a lot of people have to go through. Um, so it was a you know, it was a tough move, but it was a good move. Our kids on their Facebook page, if they ask them, where's your hometown, they say Hong Kong. Huh, wow. And um, not, not they were all born in Fort Worth. Mm-hmm. Um, 
So they, they loved it. It was a great experience and certainly gave us a chance to see a large part of the world and what, what God was doing in all kinds of different places, which was great. Um, we left Hong Kong and moved back to the south. Um, and closer to family, mm -hmm. which was what we needed to be at that time. Mm -hmm. um, Cindy's father had died and my parents were not, my mother was not in great health and so we were able to be there, but um, we were ready to get back into a place that was more multicultural. Mm. So Hawaii was a great fit mm. for that. Yeah. Yeah. That's awesome. You spoke a little bit about the whole multi-generational thing. Um, what does that look like for you here? Huh. Well, we're still trying to figure it out. You know, when I came, they asked me what was my vision for the church, and I said, I don't know. Hmm. You know, I said, if you need somebody who's got a ready-made vision and, <laughs> and, you know, talk to someone else, I said, I, I don't know this place. Um, and Hawaii is a very different place. So... Um, we need, we were a very old church, like a lot of Baptist churches in the area, and we had no children when we came. Uh, very, no preschoolers, um, some kids, but not very many. Um, a little larger youth group of kids who have grown up, but we were not reaching those kind of families. So the temptation is to focus on that. But maybe it's because of my conversation with parents with my own parents or knowing that I'm getting older myself, um, what do we have a church for even our senior citizens who have given their heart and life to this place and they know they're not gonna be around for the next 20 years for the future of the church, but why make church about everything but them? And so as we were praying and thinking through it, um, we decided we would go with this concept of oikos, um, the Greek word for household, Cornelius and his oikos gathered around. Paul in Acts 20.20 20 goes house to house, it's oikos to oikos, not necessarily door to door, mm -hmm. but circle of influence to circle of influence. And that's something that can be, that children can understand. Hmm. Their circle of influence, youth can understand, uh, senior adults can understand, because it's not seniors reaching seniors, it's seniors reaching their oikos, hmm. which could be their kids and grandkids and you know all those people like that. So it just broadens the thing to where everybody's included and you're not focusing in on one group. So we've started to try to flesh that out. And of course, music tastes are different. How we learn is different. Our senior adults who have grown up in this church, Sunday school is it. They're not gonna go to a, what we call small groups mm -hmm. to save their life. And then for <laughs> other people, it's different. Right. So we kind of have to look at what works. And um, because a lot of our members are not from Manoa, that's a weakness that we have um, probably 60 to 70% of the people who come here come from around the island as mm -hmm. far as away as Kaneohe or Eva Beach mm -hmm. and, and drive in. So it's not a lot of community here. Mm. 
Um, it makes doing things during the week as a church very difficult because they're not going to fight the traffic to get here right. in the middle of the week. Um, that was, but it keeps us with the oikos thing. Right. It's not necessarily a neighborhood, although we want to be part of the neighborhood and involved. Um, so we're still fleshing that out. Yeah. I don't know that we're doing it well mm. even yet, but we're doing it and it's it's paying off we have um you know sometimes as many as 40 kids here on sunday wow and so that's a a great improvement our youth group has shrunk over the years so we're trying to start to build up again Um, and we have people that join the church from all different age groups so Mm. that tells me that's a healthy thing and they're all valued Mm -hmm. um their thoughts are valued. We're a congregational in our polity, so there's a lot of things that we discuss as a church. And everybody's opinion counts mm. as we try to move to a consensus, and if not a consensus, at least where we can live with one another and, mm. and still move forward. Mm. And that slows things down a little bit, but I think that's part of the discipleship process. Mm. Yeah. yeah. Um, Emery, if, if there's a 20-something listening who's either maybe a pastor of a church first congregation or just a 20-something that's going to church, um, what is it that the elderly population wants from that pastor? Or even how can a 20-something congregant really bless uh, the elderly people in their church? Yeah, good question. I think, first of all, to value them. Hmm. Sit down and get their story. Hmm. Um, especially in our congregation, they're not going to volunteer it. They're mm. way too shy, mm. and they don't have any good stories, they'll tell you. Mm. Even though they've lived 70, 80, 90 years, and, you know, <laughs> but if you sit down and listen to them, give them the time, talk to them, mm. um, value their opinions, learn from them. Mm. When they know that they are, are known, I think for our senior adults, especially for ours that come here who have grown up in church, to know that their pastor knows them Mm. is important. Mm. Um, Our senior adults have been great. They've changed a lot. They are more willing to change for the good of the church than sometimes young adults Mm. are. (laughs) (laughs) So they, you know, they're not the ones who kind of they're really um, if this is the way we want to go we're going to do it but we just try to include them in so I think just getting to know them for them to know that you care about them that you love them um, spend time with them and do it and, and that's not been a difficult thing for me to do because mm-hmm. I like people yeah. I'm, I am a pastor I'm a shepherd so that part of wanting to know people is not a it's not like a burden it can it, it can be time consuming sometimes. Love is not convenient. Mm-hmm. That's part of what makes it love. That's but scary. I enjoy getting to know people. So it's not like, oh, I gotta talk to somebody today and get their story. I, I enjoy that aspect. Mm-hmm. Um, I want them to um, feel like here's a place with all the things that have changed in their lifetime and the things that change in church in their lifetime that they're still valued and loved Mm. Um, and so spend time with them Mm. 
you know, listen to them. And um, they've got some great stories. One of my favorite stories here was um, there was a man here, he was called Papa France, Wayne France, who died maybe, I guess, four years ago. But he was a fixture in this church. He was here when it started. He picked up kids in the neighborhood on his flatbed truck and he put the roofs and built the buildings. And, you know, he was gruff. Um, had a big booming voice and nobody wanted to mess with him <laughs> but he had a heart of gold mm. a heart of gold and I asked him to read scripture one time in church and he said I'll read it and <laughs> you know he we had the microphone so he wouldn't have to get up on the stage and he said, before I read scripture, and I'm sitting on the front row, and I thought, oh, boy, <laughs> maybe I shouldn't have done this. I want to tell you something. And he said, before this church was, I was. <laughs> and he gave about a five-minute history of when this church started in what was called the Termite Mansion. It used to be a building that was right here mm. on the parking lot. And how they started and how God blessed them and how God helped build just a five-minute history lesson of this church and we weren't taping anything at that point I would have given anything to have it and then he wasn't reading scripture he prayed and then he prayed and I thought I don't really need to preach after that I mean it was powerful what he did just his short look at how God's been faithful to this church and 20 year old someone like I can't do that I don't have that history but he did and gave everybody there an appreciation that they have always done things that people said they couldn't do but they did it what a great example mm. he was wow. what a great example he was so you know just and I get uptight about those things and part of what I've learned to do is just relax it's mm. God's church mm. it's not mine um, but I'm so grateful for his testimony and to hear things that he did in the past and how he's helped this church you know when I knew him it was hard to walk around. Mm. You know, he didn't have a lot of energy, but he was here. Mm -hmm. And he was faithful. Mm. But just a great testimony. Mm. Yeah. So I, I love the seniors and to see what they're doing. You know, then you've got the younger folks that God's working and they're trying. I mean, it's great to have that under one roof. Mm. Uh, one body. You shouldn't yeah. say roof, but within a, within a body to do that. So um, That's good. Yeah, I think... A lot of new pastors are just eager to come into church and, and quickly implement their vision without yeah. without taking the time to to hear the story, yeah. hear the history that God's been at work at that church long before, long before they got here. here. And um, if you, if you have if you're that kind of person, and I was that kind of person, start a church, <laughs> but don't come in and split a church mm. with your vision. Wow. Come in and get to know people and say, I'm going to be a pastor. 
And if you come to Hawaii, I can promise you it will not go near as fast as you think it should go. <laughs> get over it. <laughs> you know, get over it. And just love people. You know, it, it took me a while to realize, you know, as a pastor, you come in and you see what needs to happen in the church. And you think, well, this is why God sent me. You know, one of the great lessons I think I've learned here, and I said, I sent you here to straighten you out. <laughs> Wow. more than for you to straighten the church out because I want you to love people mm. no matter what just love them mm. and um, and that's been a great gift to me mm. that God's done in my own life to where it really is God's church mm. and I still have a vision we're still moving forward but it, it can be fluid and we're going to do it with the people who are here mm. Um, you know, some people may choose to leave, but not many. Mm -hmm. We're going to move forward. It's going to be slower because we're congregational. Mm -hmm. Live with it. Mm -hmm. um, but we're, we're going to do it as a family. Mm -hmm. And we're going to do it with all the differences and different opinions that we have. Because I think that's one of the things that God wants. Which... When I heard Scott McKnight last week, which is this whole thing, a fellowship of difference that he's writing about, I was like, ah, oh, that's great. <laughs> you know, I mean, you know, because I hadn't read the book yet to see, so I'm looking forward to getting some pointing pointers from reading this thing and looking at it from a much more theological persuasion than I have in the past. Um, although I thought it was biblical, it was great to hear him affirm mm. that kind of view. Um, so that was an encouraging time for me. Yeah, that's awesome. Question that's completely, really irrelevant to this interview, but I gotta <laughs> ask it anyway. I've seen Hawaii Five-O, the TV show, trailers out front of your church. Yes. Do they, they just use your parking lot, or have they filmed here? They or? use our parking lot as long as they promise to give me a cameo appearance. So <laughs> Is that true? I'm just kidding. Oh, I was like, what? <laughs> no. We want to be, that's kind of our philosophy of, we want to be part of the community. Mm -hmm. If we can help out, um, uh, we want to help out. Mm -hmm. And so on those days when they ask if they can use our parking lot, if it's not going to be a high traffic day with students parking here and things like that, we let them do it. Mm -hmm. um, we don't charge for it, mm -hmm. which drives them nuts and messes <laughs> up their books. But, I, you know, we, we don't. We don't charge for that, so we've let um, UH, you know, use our building for some mm -hmm. classes they've had or for some whatever, some of the things they do and other churches. And the disaster relief folks will be parking here tomorrow for a big meeting they have mm -hmm. at Midpack, And we're, we're part of the neighborhood, and so we try to, as much as we can, um, and you know, when I got here, I thought, well, our facilities were okay and our space was okay. After being here for seven years, we are blessed <laughs> with a parking lot. Right. Yep. <laughs> Many churches space. don't have that. Right. So we're blessed with buildings. I realized just how fortunate, you know, we are yeah. with that. And so I think realizing that gives us a greater thing we're responsible God has blessed us with that so to be able to share that as much as we can mm -hmm. with others um, 
we want to do that even if it's Hawaii Five O. So um, yeah, well we'll be that. looking for you on the next episode. Yeah, well that'll be a, that'll be a day. Although I did hear they're having tryouts this Saturday, but I go. I'm not going to go to it. <laughs> um, Emery, what's been the highlight in your almost 40 years of ministry? Oh. Hmm. I think you know every church has been unique. Hmm. Um, starting a new church was a challenge. Seeing young lives changed and families changed and how God used the little that we did back then um, really make a big impact in the kingdom. Um, that was a special time to do that. Um, to build a church when everybody told us there's no way that this blue-collar congregation is going to raise enough money to build a half-million-dollar building. Um, and this was in the mid-'80s. And, you know, it was a blue-collar church. And we did. You know, people pulled it. It was just absolutely incredible. So that was a... Um, that was a great time, great experience. Still have friends from from that many years ago that we keep in touch with. Um, to move to Hong Kong and to be in an international setting and hear, see people come out of Buddhist backgrounds and Muslim backgrounds and and no backgrounds and to see how God used people in the church and people, especially with the expat community people move in and they're at a loss and so many times they're more open to spiritual things because they may be looking for community but how from that um, they may discover who Christ is and it changes and and for some of them it was tough because they changed they were in that community and then they go back home and some have fallen away some have stuck with it you know, it, it's tough to go back to where you're from if you sure. didn't leave with that. Right. So we've walked with people through those things to see what God does, to be able to go to Nepal and Sri Lanka and, and plenty of times to China and Philippines and Japan and, and just see God work in all the different areas there. We had a, our church help sponsor a ministry in the Yunnan province and Northwest China um, to help people whose per capita income was about 360 bucks a year wow. and to help them with goat farming and to be welcome into a communist mayor's home because he was so grateful that this was a group that stayed with this city year after year after year to help them do stuff instead of just coming in and leaving. Um, and seeing how the gospel spread in, in that place. Um, pastoring people who travel 200 days a year in Hong Kong and ministering to their families and seeing ethical situations that they face at businessmen, you know, mm. it taught me that not everything's black and white. Mm. And how do we at the church help people think ethically committed Christian businessmen who sometimes face things that I'm scratching my head on. Right. And if they come to church and just hear a right wrong without a real struggle, mm. it kind of leaves them out of their real world. Mm. And so learning from them, and I learned a lot from them, 
to coming here with um, a completely different makeup, um, Asian, but more Japanese than Hong Kong, so a lot shyer mm -hmm. group of folks. Great folks who love the Lord, um, multi-generational. Um, where in Hong Kong, there weren't a lot of senior citizens except for the local Chinese because nobody retired there. It was mm -hmm. in and out, and membership changed 20, 30, 40% a year, mm. and new people came in. Wow. So there was this great, almost like a military church. Mm. So you had to learn how to get people involved in quickly and do that here. People have been here forever. Mm. Completely different setting. So I think three very different churches, three great experiences, if anything, it, they, they've all expanded me to mm. where I see more of what God's doing and has stretched me. There's never been a boring moment mm. um, because I don't know that I felt equipped for either one of those. Maybe starting a church because I took a course in seminary. Yeah. <laughs> but from going to Hong Kong and coming here, I don't know that I was equipped for it. It's been learning. Mm. Um, and I think if I had started here, I probably would have ruined this place. <laughs> so to come when I was a little bit older, hmm. God was gracious to the church and to me. Hmm. Um, because I realized it's not going to be on my timetable. Hmm. It doesn't have to be. Hmm. It, it really is God's church. I need to rest in that hmm. and still have a vision, still move us forward. So great experiences at all, all three yeah. places. Great, um, you know, they have shaped who I am, and I would not be who I am without those three groups. And then, you know, the 10 years before that as associate pastors for different folks definitely shaped time. Time at Halton Road and Pasadena, people I still keep up with from both of those churches, definitely shaped who mm. I am. Um, so... It's hard to pick out yeah. one place. I, it's been a great experience in all those places. Um, That's awesome. Yeah. Um, yeah, on the flip side of that, what's been your biggest struggle in ministry, and how have you overcome that? Uh, well, I think you probably already hinted at it. My biggest struggle is me. <laughs> um, I remember a quote by Bill Hybels. Um, don't remember what book it was in. Maybe it was in an article in Leadership Journal, but he said, the way I was doing the work of God was destroying the work of God in me. Mm. Say it again. The way I was doing the work of God was destroying the work of God within me. Mm. And I read that, I don't know, 20 years ago. I don't know how old that quote is, but I'm an old guy and Hybels is old. You know, he's not the young whippersnapper he was <laughs> years ago. But that stuck with me. Mm. Um, I remember times in, in ministry, especially at Summerfield's first church, when things didn't always go as planned. Um, we had to buy land before we met in the school, and then we bought land on the marriage of thoroughfare, and a year after we bought it, the city changed its mind, and we were in the middle of nowhere, and instead of being in a school for a year, it was five years in the school before we moved, and on and on and on. And it wasn't what Rick Warren said would happen. Mm. You know, things grow and, you know, it, it, and that was the, the beginning of all that kind of stuff. And everybody was going to be a Rick Warren, and I wasn't. Mm. Um, 
I can't remember the name of the book now, Saving Ministry from the Success Syndrome or something, was a book I can remember reading that just helped me realize to just take a deep breath, know my own limitations, um, liberating ministry from the success syndrome. That's what it was. Um, so I think there's always been things about me. I'm impatient. Um, I want my own way. Um, but, and I can be stubborn. I hope I've learned to be nicer and stubborn, <laughs> especially if I think it's what God wants, but also not just on my timetable. So, um, but, the, but the way to slow down, to take a Sabbath, to not work seven days a week. Um, I have great relationships with my kids, and I think one of the things that I did well as a pastor and a parent was that I was a participant in my children's life. Mm. And we did not, when we were at Summerfields, and all of our kids were born there, and I let the church know right then, which wasn't a big deal, because for them, most of them, I said, you know, don't ever tell my kids not to do something because they're the pastor's kid. Mm. If they're not to do something, it's because it's, they're not supposed to do something. Don't blame it on them being a pastor. I told the church at Hong Kong this and church here because I didn't want my kids to be under that pressure, mm. you know, to do that. And um, all of our kids as adults at this point are following the Lord mm. on their own and struggling to make faith their own. They mm. believe some things differently than I do, and I keep telling them that that's okay. If you live long enough, you'll think just like <laughs> me about everything. <laughs> but to let them struggle. So I think, you know, Cindy and I have, um, we've been good parents in the ministry, and our kids are not estranged from the church. Mm. They they love the church. Um, even though one is struggling with that right now, I think, and we let them struggle. Um, but not working seven days a week, not getting stressed out when you don't get your way. Um, you know, and I've done that at Summerfields. I was ready to do away with all of our Bible study stuff. I couldn't get um, enough workers discouraged. And so I met with the leadership council and said, let's just do away with it. And every one of them said, we don't think that's a good idea. And I just, I said, well, pray about it for a month. We'll come back again. And, of course, as I prayed about it, I realized they were all right, mm. that I was reacting, not trying to plan something. And it was great because they would have followed me. They said, if you think in a month we need to do this, we'll do exactly what you say mm. because we respect you and you're our pastor. I was so glad I listened to them, mm. but it wasn't the easiest thing for me to do because yeah. I was wrong, mm. um, and and they were right. So I think to to learn to listen to people, mm. even your critics sometimes, and not to believe everything they say. But a lot of times, critics they have an element of truth about mm. what's going on that you just so not deal with. Mm. Yeah. Um, and now I have no idea where I'm going with this because I don't remember the question. But anyway, <laughs> you, you mentioned uh, you mentioned your just having a Sabbath day, a rest yeah. day. What is your what is your ideal day of rest look like? 
Oh, my ideal day of rest is probably reading. I like to read. Reading refreshes me. So on my Sabbath, I may take The Kingdom Conspiracy by Scott McKnight and go to a coffee shop and read for three or four hours or go down to the beach. My wife and I like to read. Too many times we read the same books and discuss them and do that. Um, here, I can drive around the aisle and I can take a short hike. Um, and so if, if Cindy's off work at the same time, we'll do that together. So for me, that's a that's that's a fun day of rest. I like to do I, a day of relaxation, of just sitting around doing nothing doesn't do much. I may need to do that if I'm tired, but it doesn't do much to refresh me. So I, I enjoy reading. So I've always got something to read and reading good books or or magazine articles, um, catching up, stimulates my mind, mm. and that, for me that works. Yeah, that's good. Yeah. Uh, Emery, if, if you had to share three practical tips with our listeners on how to do ministry well, what would those three tips be? Okay, three tips. Um, slow down. Mm. Um, the end of the world isn't going to come next week. We live in a very fast-paced society. Um, one of the things, another, I can't remember which book it was in, but Ortberg, who was asking Dallas Willard what he needed to do to save his spiritual life, um, Willard said, ruthlessly eliminate hurry in your life. Mm. And um, Ortberg's response was, okay, got that down, what's the next one? <laughs> and that was it. That was the only thing. Do that one thing because hurriedness, busyness saps the spiritual life. I see this at church. One of the greatest challenges the church has in discipleship is just getting the time. And it's true for my own life. Um, I plan way too much in a day with no margin time. Um, No time to be able to think and create. That's why I think a Sabbath is so important, but not just the Sabbath, a lifestyle. So slow down, take a Sabbath, plan on accomplishing. Don't be lazy. You can go the other way and just not ever do anything. But, um, and this has been a great place for me to learn it. Whatever I think I can do in a year, for years. Whatever I can do, and, and it's okay. And I do have that kind of mindset where when I came here, I thought I'm going to be here for the next 15 to 20 years. Um, And it will take that long for long-term changes to take place, and that's okay. Um, Slow down. Um, The next thing is um, learn submission. Pastors... We're taught to lead. And I think we miss out an awful lot about what it means. We like to get our own way. And the more I read the Bible, the more I read the New Testament about submitting to one another, I think that's equally true for pastors. And pastors who are dictators do not, my opinion, they may get more done but they don't do any kind of service to their members. And they take away a discipleship process and collaboration. Um, I think we need to be better listeners to members, to other people. 
and not to be know-it-alls. You know, and there's there's some things that you know you don't bend on. You know, when it comes to theology, you don't bend on the deity of Christ or the humanity of Christ or you know what it means to follow Jesus. But there's all kinds of other things and the way we do church. That um, I remember reading a commentary years ago by Gordon Fee on Timothy that just helped me put church in mind. He said that when the Roman Catholics, the Presbyterians, the Episcopalians, the Plymouth Brethren, and the Baptists all get their church polity from Timothy, First and Second Timothy, maybe we don't have it all right. <laughs> I just thought, you know, that's exactly right, sir. There are different ways to do churches, and you've got to figure out the church personality and what actually works, and that takes unless you started the church you come in like I did here or in Hong Kong that's got a history that's older than you are you need to listen hmm. and just listen hmm. take it easy and so I think to learn to submit um, in relationships to others is a good thing to do and to, to love people um, there's never an excuse not to treat even someone who disagrees with you. I talk to too many people who look at people in their church who disagree with them and who may even be ugly about it. That they just want to write them off. Yeah. I, I, I think we love people and we respect people no matter what. And we, we, we don't run away from that and we don't not deal with it. We're to be peacemakers. Yeah. But we genuinely love people through the whole thing and care about what happens to them and not, you know, the old joke of this church would be okay if four or five people died. Um, to me, that was funny 30 years ago. It's just not funny anymore because uh, I think too many people hear that and they don't take it seriously, but they do. In the way they write off people, um, love folks. It's 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 God's church. It's not yours. And um, yeah. yeah, so not not anything earth shattering. <laughs> those are those are good though. Slow down, learn submission, and listen, and then yeah. love everyone. That's yeah. those are really good. Can you talk to us a little bit about that conflict? Because I I don't think you can do ministry without personal conflict that gets nasty sometimes. What What is the real key to loving those people that seem to be attacking you? Yeah, I think one, I mean, you have, you, you sit down with them. Hmm. You try to have one-on-one -on -one conversation. If that doesn't work, take somebody. Hmm. Um, people usually, and, and I've not had a huge struggle with that here. I don't think anybody here has ever treated me ugly at all. We may have had disagreements, but no one's ever treated me ugly. But even when someone disagrees, I think work at listening to them. Why do you disagree? You may realize that, okay, they're just coming from a whole different perspective than you, and I can appreciate their, that perspective. You know, there may be someone who says, I think as a church, we ought to love people and help them be involved in this even if they're not qualified. 
because we don't want to hurt their feelings. That helps me say they're, they're looking at this from a pastoral perspective. I'm looking at this from a perspective of something needs to get done. But I can appreciate that. I think they may go around it the wrong way. And you don't put someone in a position where they can't do and set them up for failure or it hurts the whole body. But people are central. You know, people are central. And so just because they can't do it exactly like you would do it or anything, you think, is there a different way I can train them? Can I help them do that? Because if it means, you see what I'm saying? Yeah. You may need to find something else. But a lot of times it's not so much that they disagree with you, it's that their relationship with the other person, um, they care about them. They may know something about them, especially as a newcomer, that I don't know, which is always the case. Um, so you have to just, you have to work through those. And I think most people, um, if, if God, if, if Jesus is really Lord of the church, you listen to that, and then they, and they feel like you hear them. I've not had anybody that doesn't want to hear my heart. And then to sit down and pray together. Yeah. And, you know, but a lot of times what happens is that we hear their, hear their criticism in public, and we just get mad. Yeah. You know, do the hard work of listening to someone. Um, sometimes you listen to them and you think, that's a good point. Yeah. You know, they're right. Um, and sometimes they'll listen to you and they can say, I see where you're coming, but is there anything we can do? And so we start to pray. Mm -hmm. And, you know, what do we do? Um, we are all different. Um, we all have strength. I have blind spots. Um, I don't know what they are because they're blind <laughs> spots. <laughs> My wife knows, other people know, but I've got to be able to listen to folks. I think just doing the hard work of reconciliation, peacemakers put out, um, um, I think that's what they're called, peacemaker organization. We went through a year of training with our deacons on how to be peacemakers because we knew that as the church transition, as we knew two things that Anytime something changes, the first thing somebody thinks is, how does this impact me? And if it impacts me and I don't like it, I don't care whether we need it or not. Or that, that's kind of a gut reaction. Mm -hmm. And so how do we really listen to people without alienating them or saying, you're not getting with the program? And our deacons are the, are the main peacemakers in the church. Um, that needs to be their responsibility. I've told them if the church ever splits, it's your fault, hmm. not mine, because hmm. you're the peacemakers. Yeah. And if it gets big enough, you know, if something really is going on, then of course I need to be aware of it and we need to work through it. But um, we're all to be peacemakers, so it's not just something I do, but as a church we work through those conflicts. And, you know, we live in a culture here that we would just assume um, conflict is avoided at all costs even to the detriment of relationships. So it's not an easy thing to just suck it in, is what people would do, but then they 
you know, then all of a sudden you're talking to someone who's got 20 years of conflict towards someone and it explodes. Yeah. So you might have had 20 years where they weren't killing each other, but it really hadn't been good for the church. Right, right. So you've got to talk with each other yeah. and do that. Um, and that's a hard thing to do. Yeah. Would you recommend that Peacemakers resource for other Yes, other? I would. It was... Um, let me see what the name of that thing is. It was called um, Peacemaking Church. Yeah, by Peacemakers Ministries. So the leadership opportunity, and we took a year to go through their video series and do their workbook together as a as a group, and um, it's it's some good stuff. Hmm. Yeah, good. some good stuff. I mean, the last question is just what's been inspiring you lately? Is there books or resources? Um, that have really been getting you going lately? Uh, well, the last, you know, my Kingdom Conspiracy and the Fellowship of Difference by Scott McKnight. Haven't read them yet, but heard a lot of them about the last two weeks. So looking forward to that. Um, Soul Keeping that came out last year by John Ortberg. Read that book twice last year. Hmm. What's the premise Once of by that? myself and once with my wife. Okay. Soul Keeping. Soul Keeping, okay. Yeah, John Ortberg. Uh, a great book on um, uh, keeping <laughs> of being whole. You know, the whole concept of salvation is um, it's not just getting to heaven. It's a wholeness and how that actually works. So he's a great author. He kind of takes Dallas Willard stuff and makes it for the common folk and it's a lot of book about his relationship with Dallas he wrote it after Dallas died I think but it's a great book um, I love reading N.T. Wright um, Scott McKnight um, you know enjoy doing that kind of stuff um, yeah so those would be some books I could highly uh, emotional healthy leadership been another book in the last couple of years I've read that was good by Pete Chicero or I don't know what his last name Assembly of God pastor out of New York City hmm. and um, some very good stuff with that um, awesome yeah Emery, uh, which interview do you think is was better? The first, the, the first one that we did that I uh, deleted or this one? Yeah. You know, I have no idea <laughs> I don't remember what I did in the first interview. So, uh, although I did take notes with that one, I think my three points were the same. Past that, I'm not sure. So, <laughs> I don't know. Well, Emory, I really appreciate you taking the time. Would you just close this out by praying for our listeners? I'll do it. I'll do it. Father, we come before you, and we um, thank you for your call in our lives and your call to ministry. Remind us that you have called us, but it is your kingdom that we are all about. And I pray that you would continue to equip us. I thank you for your mercy in our lives. And make us the shepherds, the leaders, the pastors, um, the servants to others that you are to us and that you were to your disciples and to those around you that the kingdom of God may increase. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. I'm going to hit save right now. All Thank right. you so much for being on the show, Eric. <laughs>
If you've enjoyed this episode of Doing Ministry Well, you can help us out by rating, commenting, and subscribing on iTunes and sharing this podcast with your friends. Check out the podcast notes to find out more about today's guests and other resources mentioned on this episode. To find out more about Doing Ministry Well, check out our website, www.doingministrywell.com. And if you have any questions, comments, or suggestions on who we should interview next, email us at doingministrywell at gmail.com. To find out more about me, your hosts, visit my blog at www.jimjessbaker.com. That's www.jimjessbaker.com. All links are Amazon affiliate links and help us out when you make a purchase through them.